So good to see you, Hillary, and welcome, church. Uh, my name's Rob Jacobson. If we have never met before, I sure hope we do get to meet in person. I want to start today with a poem by uh, Sarah Bournes called We've All Been Exposed. We've all been exposed, not necessarily to the virus, maybe, who knows. We've all been exposed by the virus. Corona is exposing us. It's exposing our dark sides, our weak sides, exposing what normally lays beneath, far beneath the surface of our souls, hidden by the invisible masks we wear, now exposed by the paper masks we can't hide far enough behind. Corona is exposing our addiction to comfort, our obsession with control, our compulsion to hoard, our protection of self. Corona is peeling back our layers, tearing down our walls, revealing our illusions, and leveling our best laid plans. Corona is exposing the gods we worship, our health, our hurry, our sense of security, our favorite lies, our secret lusts, our misplaced trust. Corona is calling everything into question. What is the church without a building? What is my worth without an income? How do we plan without certainty? How do we love despite risk? Corona is exposing me my mindless numbing, my endless scrolling, my careless words, my fragile nerves. We've all been exposed, our junk laid bare, our fears made known, the band-aid torn, the masquerade done. So what now? What's left? Clean hands, clear eyes, tender hearts. What Corona reveals, God can heal. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. I think the author, Sarah Bournes, has struck a nerve. She's zeroed in on and named what many of us are feeling but not admitting. Yet when we admit something, when we reveal it, it can be healed. See, I don't just want to go through this pandemic. I want to grow through this pandemic. What about you? I want to grow, and I pray our church would come out stronger on the other side of this crisis, that we'd come out more faith-filled, dependent, sacrificial, generous, and bold. And to do that, we need to know where we are, where we really are in all of this. And to do that... We have to do what one of my favorite wise sages asks. Do you know what time it is? See, today's teaching is about learning to recognize, accept, and embrace the sacred moments of every season of our actual lives. So let's review before we go. On day one, God called the light out of the darkness not just in the world, but in us too. And when he does, he rescues us and overcomes that darkness. On day two, we're expanded. We're hammered out and stretched to make room for future life. It's not easy, but it will become good. 
On day three, those good seeds that have been planted in us by God begin to grow as we partner with God in creating future life. On day three, we're reminded of what Tov is, what God's good is, that we're his good masterpieces, that he's put good things in us that he's already prepared us to do. And on day four, God makes the sun, the moon, and all the stars. And these objects have guided humanity for thousands, maybe even millions of years. They remind us of how big the universe is and how small we really are. Yet God inspired the writer of Genesis to include God's reasons for creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. It says that God said, let there be lights in the vault of the skies. One, to separate the day from the night. Two, to let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, days, and years. And three, to let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. But that sounds a lot like day one when God separated the light from the dark and called the light day and the dark night. So why would he do something that seems repetitive? Well, as I thought about this for the last couple of weeks, I remembered, and even some of the recent events of our, of our country and our world remind me that humans are not always good at knowing what is day and night, what is light and dark, what season or year we're in. And we need illumination, if you will, to understand where we are and what time it is. Now, since we've done this for three other weeks, we might as well do it for this week too. The Hebrew word for sacred times or seasons is moadim, which means appointed time or sacred season. It's in Ecclesiastes where it says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. Leviticus 23 goes through the sacred festivals week by week and month by month. And seasons are this beautiful biblical image of God's work in the world and in our lives. And day four is about recognizing, accepting, and embracing that season for the sacred moment it is, wherever we find it. So what does it look like? How do we do it? Well, to do that, we go to the reading that Hillary read second, the first Samuel chapter one. You can pull out your Bible or your device, whatever you're using, and we'll see it. In this part of the Bible, we meet a woman. Her name is Hannah, and she's married to a man named Elkanah, but she's not the only one married to Elkanah. She's listed first, and maybe that's because she's married to him first, but we learn that Elkanah has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Peninnah has children. Hannah had none. If we were calling the sacred seasons by the seasons that we have, we would call the first season winter. And winter is when you wait. During the winter, like today, at least where I'm shooting from, it's cold and dark and everything seems like it's dead. Uh, there's very few signs of life. We just kind of sit and wait for it to warm up. Now, Hannah's name actually means grace, but grace couldn't produce children. 
something that would have given her a high honor in the culture that she lived in. So grace suffered disgrace in her community. And if just the fact of having to share your husband wasn't bad enough, Peninnah and Grace battle each other or duke it out. It seems like Peninnah just gives punishment to Hannah, especially during the sacred annual festivals. Peninnah, her name means jewel, as in a precious gem that's dazzling to look at, but cold and hard, closed off from the world around her. So jewel bears children. Grace bears pain and disappointment and emptiness. And Jewel is even called Grace's rival because she would provoke her so much that she would weep and not eat, especially during those festivals. It seems like that's not something that the writer would need to include unless he wanted us to feel Hannah's hurt that gets exacerbated when they go to worship God. Kind of like the feeling you get when you go to church on Mother's Day when all you want is to be a mom, but you're not. Kind of like being infertile and having to share your spouse with someone who wasn't, which might seem like an odd thing to try and wrap your head around, so let's just take it broader than that. What does it feel like to watch someone produce something that you can't produce? Maybe you see it in your family. Maybe you see it in your work. Maybe you see it in your friendships. Some of you know the season of waiting all too well. You're waiting for the unemployment check to kick in. You're waiting for your, to go back to work because all your friends are still working. Or you get a, a new job just weeks before the pandemic, but you can't do that job because of the current restrictions. So now you're just waiting and wondering when they're going to figure out what you're doing or not doing and then just fire you. For others, it's waiting for a relationship to turn around that is always a constant struggle. Or waiting for that positive pregnancy test after the first or third or seventh miscarriage. Waiting is brutal. But don't miss that the story says that Elkanah loved Hannah. They live in a time and a culture where men could discard a woman for being infertile in a time where they couldn't support themselves. And this husband loves his wife, even though she can't produce what will give her and him financial security, future family, and just pure joy. See, what does it mean to love someone extravagantly even when they can't produce something you want? Or how can you and I give grace to someone who's in a season of waiting? And we don't know how long this went on. It kind of sounds like days turned to years and maybe years turned into even decades. But finally we read 
in 1 Samuel 1.9 that once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Shiloh was the place where God's temple was temporarily, so they would go there or tabernacle. It says, one day Hannah stood up. One day she was done with passive waiting. One day she was done waiting until she felt better. She just decided to move forward. She didn't wait until her circumstances improved. She just decided to rise up above the pain and the problems and persist in her faith. Where do you need to stand up right now in the season you're in, wherever you find yourself? It says when Hannah stood up, she went to the temple, to the tabernacle, and the Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You can see the winter and feel it in her words and in her emotion. She's struggling, she's waiting, but she took her pain and her problems to God, the one who created her and knows her and loves her even in her pain. I think it's a call to us. Wherever we find ourselves, do we go to God when we're sad or mad or bitter or lost? Do we pray without ceasing? Do we pray without editing and maybe a little bit of screaming? Because you can let God know how you feel. And you can learn to boldly ask for what you want. I mean, Grace prays such an unfiltered, desperate prayer that the high priest thinks she's drunk. She wasn't drunk. She's just at her end. She's pouring out her soul to the Lord. She said, I am not a woman who's, de- I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking beer or wine. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. We need to learn how to stand up and cry out to God in the midst of our waiting and our grief. See, Hannah's prayer is both vulnerable and bold. In verse 11, it says, She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, this prayer might seem a little strange. It, it is a little strange, actually. First, Hannah is the only woman ever recorded in the Old Testament who has made and kept a vow to God. Second, women weren't allowed into the temple. They didn't even go into the temple area without their husbands, but Grace does. She goes and approaches by herself. And, and third, in English, it sounds like Grace is bargaining with God or begging him for personal gain, just give me a son. But if you read it in the original language, it actually says that she asks for a Zerah Hashem. Zerah is the word for seed, as in something God puts in the ground when creation will bring it forth to bring forth more life, like we talked about last week on day three. When that happens, God calls that tov, or good, when the potential for life starts bringing forth life that will bring forth life. She asks for Azera Ishem. Ish is the, the word for man or human or mankind. Shem might be plural for people. So Hannah's not simply asking for a son for herself. She's not asking for personal gain. She's asking 
for a seed for humankind, a seed for the people. That's what she's asking for. She's asking for something good for other people, even in the middle of her pain and despair. Her prayer reminds me, and I think her, and hopefully us, that she is living in a much larger story than just her own. She's living in God's story. See, what does it mean for you and for me to ask God for his good to come forth, even in our winters, even in our own brokenness, to ask God to make us a blessing to others? See, when the high priest heard her response, he blessed Hannah. Verse 18, he says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes, which is a way of saying, I agree with you. And then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. See, grace had found grace, and her face was shining. Her eyes were not on herself. They were not on her feet. They were up on God and on the people around her. And she ate and she was sustained. See, the sacred season of spring is all about hope. It follows the winter and the waiting. And just like in our lives, that the spring starts with the thawing and the melting and the days getting longer and the temperatures going up, but there's still snow on the ground. It's not completely over but it's when the dead of winter is melting away and you can start to see the buds of life come forth. Spring is when the opportunity springs up or when you learn that the person that you like likes you back. It's when the kids would be going crazy in school for spring fever, but they just happen to be at home so they can go outside and take breaks. Spring is all about hope. Hannah leaves the temple In this paradox, nothing has changed and yet everything has changed. She's not even pregnant yet, but she knows that she's entered the larger story of what God is doing in the world. That's when you hope. It's when you accept that you want to grow through the pandemic, not just go through it. Eventually, Hannah does become pregnant In verse 20, it says, In the course of time, Hannah becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, and she named him Samuel because she asked the Lord for him. Now, that's not exactly what his name translates to, but it's this intimate moment with Hannah and God. I picture her holding her newborn son. I asked the Lord for him. It's hope that brings abundance. That's the sacred season of summer. This abundance. Summer is taking off a couple days to road trip with your son, who's not a kid anymore, but not quite a teenager, to watch baseball in the eighth row behind home plate, because you can, to play catch on Lake Michigan, and to go to a motorcycle museum, and to eat unhealthy food, and to share your favorite music and stories, and even some of the mistakes of your past. Because you know he'll never be that age again. And you want to experience it to the full. Summer is saying yes to a gift 
of a timeshare and to someone watching your kids so that you can leave and go on, go eat dinner out every night and take long walks or sit by the pool or just stay in the hotel room and remember that each of you love each other before jobs and responsibilities and kids. I mean, especially for those of us who live in Minnesota, we have to soak in the summer because it's so stinking short. It goes by so fast. But in those moments, can you stop and enjoy it fully? Experience it, all of it. Take it in, no holding back. See, every season is sacred. Abundance is sacred. Just like waiting is sacred and hoping is sacred. Part of what learning to see what time it is, is to see that it's summer and when it is, to ride that wave all the way to shore. Now lastly, as you may have guessed, the sacred season of fall is when we experience loss. Fall is when the leaves change color on the tree and they fall to the ground way too soon. Fall is when we don't get to gather physically as a church. It's not getting to have high school or college graduation ceremonies. Fall is losing your job during the coronavirus. It's losing your loved ones to depression and death. It's losing your wife or your mom or your friend in a tragic car crash. Falls when you grieve and lament the murder of Ahmad Arbery, one of just way too many young, unarmed African-American men whose lives are needlessly cut short by senseless violence. It's grieving with and praying for Ahmad's parents, Wanda Cooper James and Marcus James, who would have celebrated Ahmad's 26th birthday two days ago. Fall is when we weep for those who weep and we mourn with those who mourn. Our hearts need to break in the fall by the injustices that we see. We need to sit in the weight of despair and sin before we rush into action. Fall is when our simple faith and religious platitudes fail us. Fall is when we might question God the hardest. But if we actually do have the courage to approach God in those moments, we'll discover that he is closest to the brokenhearted. That's why we lament and confess and repent, because those practices lead us into God's presence, just like they did for Hannah. Now, fall eventually does come for Hannah. She brings her young son, after he'd been weaned, back to the temple to make good on her vow. Just imagine what that walk was like. Well, 1 Samuel verse 24 tells us that she stayed home and she nursed her son until he had been weaned. Probably a couple years had gone by. And then she takes him up to Shiloh again where the temple was and she brings the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, a prize bull, flour, and wine. The child likely just three or four years old. 
First they butchered the bull, then they brought the child to Eli the priest. And Hannah said, excuse me, sir. Would you believe that I'm the very woman who was standing before you in this very spot praying to God? I prayed for this child and God gave me what I asked for. And so now I have dedicated him to God. He's dedicated to God for life. And then and there, they worshiped God. Now, I have to believe that Hannah cried all the way home, yet we don't see her talk about loss in that moment. We see her talk about dedication in that moment. See, she worshiped God, not because she should, but because she experienced each of these sacred seasons with God. God met her in the waiting and the hoping and the abundance, and the loss every time. We see Hannah declare this to God immediately in chapter 2. She prayed, I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. She continues, God brings death and God brings life. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. God brings poverty and he brings wealth. He lowers and he lifts up. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles the burnt out lives with fresh hope. He restores the dignity and respect to their lives, a place in the sun for the very structures of earth are God's. He has laid out his operations in a firm foundation. We see Hannah putting her story into God's larger story and finding hope, finding peace, and finding joy in the midst of it. Not because she has done something right, but because God is good and right. Can you and I learn what time it is so that we can see the seasons we're in and that God is in it with us. Like we talked about in day two of expanding and how Joseph was expanded and the Lord was with Joseph. And we talked about Peter having those seeds in him that Jesus was calling out. That wasn't easy. And he was stretched and he grew and he made mistakes along the way, but Jesus was with him in all those moments. And even in Hannah's life, God was with her in the good and in the hard. Friends, God is in this season with us and he wants us to grow through it. Can you enter it and embrace it and allow this season to transform your life? See, I can't control the seasons and certainly not every season is my favorite, but when I surrender and embrace God, In this season, I am growing in the midst of it. God is the author of our stories. God is the one who's bringing death, but he's also the one bringing life. He's bringing down and he is raising up. Can you see it in the midst of it? So two questions. Two questions that I found unbelievably helpful right now to see what season I'm in. 
You just got to be honest about the answers. The first is, how are you doing right now? Truly and honestly. It was a hard week for me. I had a friend whose dad is at the end of life by his own choosing. I grieve with my African-American brothers and sisters over the injustice that they face nearly every single day. And I just miss my friends. I miss my church. That's honestly and truly how I'm doing right now. Now I see good, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it in this moment. And that's what you've got to do to see what season you're in. Ask that question and answer it. But also, to ask the second one, what are you truly and honestly grateful for right now? I'm grateful that my family can still be together, that we still have jobs, that my kids can still learn in Zoom calls, that their teachers still care about them, that my parents are still healthy, that my friends continue to reach out. That's what I'm grateful for. But see, most of us don't answer those two questions like on the spur of the moment like I did. I've obviously had a week to think about it. So to do this regularly, we've got to not only answer those questions, we've got to think about who we're going to talk to them about. Your first option, you just need to pick one this week. I, I challenge you to pick one of the three options to answer those two questions. The first one is you can talk to God. You just got to talk to him like you would talk to a close friend. Tell him the good, the bad, and the ugly. Don't put any silver linings around things. Don't leave words out or add others in that you wouldn't normally add. Just be truly honest with God. Second option, you can talk to a trusted friend. You just have to choose someone who won't shut on you or judge you or fix you or put silver linings around the hard parts or say at least just listen. And the third option is you can write it in a journal. This is especially good if you struggle with getting your words out there. The catch is, at least my smarter therapy and pastor friends tell me, you just have to read it out loud when you're done. Because there's something about verbalizing and externalizing it that is powerful and connects you to God. So talk to God, talk to a trusted friend, or journal it. Pick one of those three this week to find the season you're in because, friends, God is in it with you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the beginning and the end. You are the supreme. You are the first and the last. God, you have lifted up. You have experienced the waiting and the hoping and the abundance and the lost. You are above the rulers and the thrones and the powers. God, everything has been created 
through your Son and for your Son. And He is before all things and in all things and, and holds all things together. No matter what season we're in, whether it is full of joy or whether it is full of pain, whether it is full of hope or whether it is full of waiting, I pray that we would see you in the midst of it, that we know that you are in it, that you are for it, that you go before it, that you hold it together, that we can let you be the author of that season to have our lives changed, restored, and redeemed. Come, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us.